Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Um, we'd like to welcome everybody to the Healthy Living According to the Sunnah course, which is run by Dr. Mujib in conjunction with um, Cape Town Muslim Events and the Prophet Tech Healing Institute. We pray that our time together will be beneficial, inshallah. Um, your format for the evening is basically we'll be doing a talk till about Ishai time. We will break in for Ishai and then return in um, till about half past nine. Um, in that time, we can ask questions. Um, if you have any questions, you feel free to write them down on a piece of paper, and um, we will forward to Dr. Mujib. Um, or at the end of the class, we wish to ask your question. You are welcome to do so as well. The um, after the Isha'i Salah, they usually lock the masjid. If you need to use the bathrooms, the bathrooms are at the back here uh, for ladies and the gents, and the bathrooms are kept well tidy. So that's fine. Um, if you have any uh, questions, you're welcome to ask any of the staff at the back as well. There is a little small cafeteria run by the um, custodians of the masjid. Uh, kindly support me if you can, inshallah. We're trying to keep the snacks as healthy as possible, inshallah. So um, over to Dr. Majib. Shukran. Enjoy. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا مولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وصحبه جمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته I'd like to give everybody a warm welcome to the first class the first lesson in a series of seven classes entitled healthy living according to the Sunnah where we would focus on Quranic and sunnah therapies. We have to pause and realize that the matter that we are about to deal with is a very great matter. In that we are busy with something that connects us to deen. And we are reviving a sunnah in a time when people are discarding the sunnah. So it's indeed an honor for me to be part of this event in a gathering of individuals that love the sunnah. And it reminds me of a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said that there are two favors in the lives of people that they are deceived by, that they waste. Prophet ﷺ said, As-siha wal-faraag. He said, it's health and free time. So your presence here today is a positive response to the word of the Prophet ﷺ. You recognize the importance of health and you sacrificed your free time to be here. So definitely the rewards is great. Allah says, وَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ That if you show Allah gratitude, you recognize His favors, Allah says, I will definitely increase you. In the Hadith Qudsi, the Prophet ﷺ informs us that Allah says that He is unto His slave the way the slave thinks of Him. So think about the Sunnah in a positive light. Think that the Sunnah holds the key to healing of the mind, body, and soul. So, the Prophetic Healing Institute is an institution that is an Islamic-based community institution with the aim to revive prophetic medicine in the lives of Muslims everywhere, beginning with the individual, and then at a family level, taking it to the rest of the community. And the ultimate objective is to project, or the vision is towards public health. Because the Quran says that وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ That the Prophet ﷺ was sent as a mercy to all of creation, to the entire worlds. Leave alone all of mankind, to the entire universe. And the ulama says that there is no other reason why the Prophet ﷺ was sent. So he is a mercy to the trees, to the animals, to 
the rest of creation because he taught us how to interact with our environment. He taught us that we are part of nature. We have to live with nature and not against nature to such an extent that even in the great battles he would pro- prohibit the Sahaba from cutting down trees, fruit trees, even though it belonged to the enemy. To show that respect for our nature, for our natural environment is of utmost importance and it has major implications in our lives. So the affiliation that I have through the Prophetic Healing Institute is with several other institutions. Um, I'm a full-time lecturer at the School of Natural Medicine at UWC, which falls under the Faculty of Community Health Sciences. So the other modalities would be um, physiotherapy, OT, psychology, public health, School of Public Health. And within the School of Natural Medicine, we are the only school that offer a five-year program on natural medicine on the African continent in terms of the four modalities that they offer. So there's Chinese medicine, naturopathy, phytotherapy, and Yunani Tib medicine. Yunani Tib is an Arabic word which means Greek medicine, and the core of Yunani Tib would be prophetic medicine. I've also had the privilege of um, being a student of the Darun Naim Institute, where I lecture part-time on Tibanabui. And at the moment, I'm furthering my studies in Arabic at Darul Muhammad, where I also lecture part-time on Tibadabawi. The Tib Institute is a wakaf organization set up by the Beaker Family Trust in order to promote Yunani Tib medicine in South Africa. So uh, um, the recent contribution that they made towards Tib medicine would be the Medicine of the Prophet series, which was aired on DSTV. SATA would be the South African Tib Association, also involved in charity work within the community to uplift health awareness. And the Samar Center is a center based on integrative medicine that opens up in October, following the, the Sunnah approach to medicine, bringing in spirituality, Sunnah nutrition, and linking all the aspects of the human being in a scientific and professional manner. So the course content consists of seven different topics. The first one being the importance of prophetic medicine. So we look at the the definition, we touch a bit on the history, and we look a bit at the importance of why would prophetic medicine have a profound effect in our lives today. So we have to look at our current situation. We look at stress management, and I use the term sunnah stress management because when we use the Quran and the sunnah as our resource, we tap into an unlimited resource of healing. We look at the effects of taqwa on, on immunity, basically how every act of ibadah has an effect on our immune system, on the emotions, on our psychological well-being, and, and on our pro- productivity in modern day times. We look at emotions, and we know that um, healthcare professionals would agree that every illness has an emotional layer. And we can, we can all relate to this if we suffer something as simple as a flu and um, there was a loss of a loved one in the family, we'll tend to take longer to overcome that, that illness due to the, the emotional aspect. And prophetic nutrition is by, by far, without a doubt, the best form of nutrition available. We find that there's a big breakthrough in terms of modern nutritional medicine where focus is placed on micronutrients and bioavailability and what type of foods block the other type of absorption. But within the sunnah, we find that the prophetic way of eating 
of the foods that the Prophet Sallallahu prescribes correlates with modern day findings and it presents solution beyond modern day findings. Because the Prophet Sallallahu spoke about the benefit of eating in jama'ah, eating with the right hand, sitting and eating, which has profound effects on our digestion. And we will look at that in due course. Knowing your temperament. Each of us have an individual makeup that affects our mental faculties, our personality traits, and this can be ascertained by our physical characteristics. And we'll go into the signs as well. The desired outcomes would be to inform, empower, and apply. Because the, the definition of wisdom would be to attain knowledge and to put it into practice. If we were to only attain knowledge without practicing, then knowledge would become a waste. And ultimately, the objective of the course is to revive the sunnah as a health promotion practice every day in our lives for disease prevention. And in modern science or medical science, there's two types of medicine. We have curative medicine and we have preventative medicine. So curative medicine refers to a cure being administered for a certain condition. So you go to the doctor, you suffer some condition, they give you medication for, as a cure. But preventative medicine refers to those daily acts that you employ constantly and over time it has a cumulative effect preventing certain type of illness conditions. For instance, if you know your family line consists of diabetes, high cholesterol, you could do stuff, um, you could take uh, measures early on in your life. Where at any stage of your life, whatever measures you take in the terms of preventive medicine will have an effect once it becomes habit. So the aim is to firstly look at the sunnah in light of modern medical science and within light of sunnah medicine and by doing that, it will give us an incentive to practice. And by practicing it and knowing the benefits of it, the incentive increase as we feel the benefit of it. And eventually we want to reach that stage where we become addicted to the sunnah. And it's no longer a religious recommendation. And by the end of this course, the objective is to make us realize that the sunnah is an absolute necessity in order for us to cope in modern day times. Ultimately, we want to live Islam holistically, meaning that the way we conduct ourselves in the masjid, taking precision care the night before Jumu'ah, preparing the clothing, people reciting the dhikr, um, performing the ghusl, reciting surah kahf, all that effort that's placed into the masjid has to be placed into our health as well. And we'll see within the principles of natural medicine, within the principles of Sunnah medicine, how the Prophet link the two, the body and the soul. And the ultimate objective also would be to train the trainers. A concept that the Prophet taught us on when he delivered his last sermon. He said to the Sahaba that it's your responsibility to take the, the message, to, to make da'wah, and be sure that those that hear the message from you understand the message better than you do. So it's very important for us, whatever we take from here, to take it to the classroom, to take it to your, to your students. If there's healthcare practitioners here, take it to your patients, and you'll see there's an increase in efficacy by dealing with spirituality in the medical environment with, with the families and connecting it to health. You increase whatever treatment's available. You increase the efficacy of that treatment. So when you look at Islam... The famous ayah in the Quran, Al-Yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa raditu lakumul islam adina. Allah says that today, this day, I have perfected your deen for you. I have completed my favor upon you and I have chosen Islam as your way of life. 
So when we are asked by people, what is Islam? We proudly say that Islam is a lifestyle. It is not a religion. It's a lifestyle. The question I ask is, what is your definition of a lifestyle? Would it be something confined to the masjid? Or would it be an aspect that transcends every part of our being? And alongside that ayah, Allah says that He has given this deen as a form of perfection for us, but He has given us a perfect model. That the Prophet is a perfect example. The Prophet said that He has left two things behind, and if we hold on to them, we will never go astray. Kitabillah wa sunnati. The book of Allah and His sunnah is way of life. So a definition of Tiba Nabawi would be ahadith, Quranic ayahs, supporting health promotion. The Prophet Sallallahu prohibitions, his tacit approvals, his indications, recommendations to the Sahaba when it came to medical treatments, prescription for treatments of disease, when it came to health um, promotion, disease prevention, to his Sahaba, and by extension the message comes to us, it's, it's meant for us. And this is follows based on the ayah, وَمَا يَنْتِكُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُوِ يُوحَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ did not speak on his own accord, except everything he spoke was inspired to him by Allah. So therefore we find whatever the Prophet ﷺ recommended is continuously validated in modern science. So the development of, of prophetic medicine, where did it start? The term prophetic medicine, we find that before the Prophet ﷺ's um, nabuwa, in the Arabian Peninsula, there were various types of medical systems. The medical system of the Syrians, the Byzantites, the, the Indians, and the most profound medical system that influenced the Arabian Peninsula would be the medicine of the Greeks, based on Hippocrates, Hippocrates known as the father of modern-day medicine. During the Prophet ﷺ's time, we find that through the foundations of the Quran and the Sunnah, we found that there was a transition, a revolution in medicine, where the Prophet ﷺ added the aspect of simplicity, purity, and moderation in all aspects of life. Therefore, we find that when the Muslims went on beyond the Arab borders and they discovered different medical science, that they delved into the science and they perfected it. Because within Islam, we know that there's an integration between science and faith. At a time when the church separated between science and religion, believing that the more you delved into science, it would deny the existence of God. But within Islam, Allah says that He does not want us to follow this deen blindly. Allah says, look within yourself, look within the creation, and then you confirm the wahdani of Allah. Then you say with conviction, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. So therefore we find when the Muslims went on to the different borders and they went into different cultures and societies. They discovered the science and they grabbed it. They delved into it and they perfected the knowledge. Based on the Quran ayah, ikara, and with, there was no boundaries. And whenever they found something that went against deen, they would throw it out and would take the rest of the knowledge because they know that all knowledge is from Allah. And this led to what was known as the golden era of Islam, the golden age, when the Muslims were at the height of the intellectual brilliance Conquering and being the pioneers of all sciences, medicine, mathematics, logic, astronomy, and the list goes on, physics, science. And we find during the golden age correlates to what they call the dark ages in Europe. The time when the church separated between science and medicine led to the dark age, 
within the golden age of Islam, we see this empire with Muslims living healthy lives, connecting with masjids that are connected to hospitals, had a big courtyard where people practice martial arts depending on which part of the empire encompassed that type of culture. Within Baghdad, it was considered to be the learning capital of the world where the world walked or, or looked into the Muslim empire and they craved the Muslim knowledge because they saw Muslims having running water, lush gardens, the best of herbs, the best type of clothing. So Muslims in Turkey would be eating out of Chinese cutlery, living a life of good health, high intellectual brilliance, whilst the people of Europe lived on the slums along the coastline or slums along the riverside, dying from plagues. And the Muslim empire, due to the health practices of the Muslims, the basic washing of the hands for hudu, the basic ghusl, all of these aspects fend plagues that wiped out the rest of Europe, stopped at the borders of the Islamic empire simply due to the health practices of the believers. So it's difficult for us to understand how our daily habits today, or should I say our rituals, our spiritual rituals like wudu, salah, dua, the recitation of Quran, what effect it has in our lives. Because we take it for granted, the knowledge is widespread that spirituality is important, that we have to find contentment of the hearts through soothing sounds, that we have to connect with water, that water cleanses the body. But there was a time that existed within history when this knowledge was not known. A time known as the Dark Ages where people were dying of plagues simply due to the fact of not understanding health. The cold weather of Europe caused people to become ill when they would take baths at, at incorrect times. So we find that it wasn't, unknown, it wasn't uncommon to find people bathing twice a year in Europe. Kings and queens as well. So the bathhouses was not attached to the, to the palaces. So it's actually the people of the dark ages that defined the term fail ill. <laughs> so we have to acknowledge that it's because of the lives of the believers. And, you, and it's very significant that the believers are so in touch with water. It came from the Arabian time where the water was scarce. It was considered to be gold. Yet the Prophet came with a message that purity is half of faith. Linking the physical cleanliness of the body to your iman. The biggest aspect that guarantees you success for, for eternity, the Prophet cut that in half and said the rest is attached to the purity of the body. So therefore we see that the fiqh is so detailed and in fiqh we, we are taught what types of water to use and we have to look in it in a different light. We shouldn't take it for granted. And the whole aim of the course is to realize that we have the resources that the entire world looks for. And what's very significant is that the journey towards Tib was a, a long one for me. And uh, after finishing my Darunaim studies, or heading towards the end, um, our Ustad Mawlana Ali gave us a, a talk to say that, you know, you, you receive knowledge of the Qur'an, understanding the Qur'an, you have to build on this knowledge, whether you go further into Qur'anic studies or any other types of science. And he spoke about Tib, and he spoke about how the Muslims, and it was the deen that's responsible for the modern day technology that we have. The modern day technology that we enjoy today is due to the intellectual brilliance of the golden era of Islam. It was built on that. The Renaissance, the foundation of the Renaissance is built on the Islamic philosophers and physicians. So therefore you'll see in the famous Michelangelo paintings in the background you'll see 
bearded men with turbans and long tops because they could not be left out of history. Although the history books will change their names, Ibn Sina will be called Avicenna. Other names will be called Ibn Qaisis, and they'll change the names in the history books. But we live in a time where information is freely available and authentic information is available. So therefore, there's a revival. A revival to make us realize that our deen is more than what we think it is. And within the field of natural medicine, I was very intrigued by this word, unanitib. And when I went home that night, I saw in the newspaper a clipping showing that uh, unanitib um, offered at the University of the Western Cape. The next day, I went to the university and I asked the secretary, tell me more about the course. And she said, you, you're lucky. There's an intro course taking place. You can sit in. And I went into the class. And as I entered the class, the lecturer said, the professor said, okay, class, today we're dealing with anger management. And we spoke about the quality of anger. Anger is a heating quality. Quality, it comes from the fire. It boils within. It causes the blood to boil. It increases the blood pressure. The skin becomes flushed. It can lead to explosive type of anger. So how do we cool down anger? How do we cool down fire? The class answered, we cool it down with water. And how do we, what's the best way to cool down anger? And then someone stood up in the class, a non-Muslim, and the person said, you wash the hands. And they did the entire fic correctly. Goggle the mouth. Make sure that it reaches the tonsils. Inhale the water until you feel a burn in the nose. Snort it out. Wash the face vigorously. Ensure that it goes past the elbows. And the people were attesting to the anger management benefits of the wudu. And at that moment, I decided I have to take this knowledge to our community because it belongs to us. And all of a sudden, the wudu became more love to me. I remember growing up in the, um, my father, we lived next to a masjid, so constantly he would wake me up early for fajr, and I'll go to the, in the bottom clothes and just run the tap and make some sounds because it was too cold. Or, you know, or we all know when you have to make, make light, don't close the door, and you just spend some time to make it think that you're performing salah. But once we get this knowledge about wudu, it becomes an incentive. You realize that the benefits of our deen is not reserved for the akhirah. It's not all your effort you're putting into deen, you're going to see it on the day of Qiyamah. We'll see that through the presentation with modern medical science that your do, your dua, your salah is a benefit for you right now. It's a means to overcome every type of illness in your life. It's a means of helping you cope in today's time. So it's very important to look at the model of Islam and we see that the masjid was a representation for the community. So if the masjid was thriving and there was hospitals attached and people were interacting with each other and we see that um, the health status was improved alongside the spirituality, the entire community benefit. If we look in today's time, we will see the masjid is isolated. No science is connected to the masjid. And the ulama of the past, the great ulama like Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyya, Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, Imam Shafi'i, all of them were strongly grounded in Islam and medical science. So we'll see that throughout the ages, the two has gone together. So this concept of university and Darul Ulum that split apart is a modern day concept. And it's because of that that we can't link the two. That our deen has become placed into a compartment reserved for the masjid. Our social life is for the family. Our intellectual life happens at the university. And therefore we cannot break down those barriers. So it's important for us to take the deen and the, the model of the past and revive it. 
And this is a humble effort towards that. So if it's here today, do not undermine it. Understand that this is the foundation for changing the health status in our community. So if you look at the great physicians of the past, um, the likes of Ibn Sina, known as the Prince of Physicians, the author of the famous Canon of Medicine, a corpus, magnum corpus, medical encyclopedia that was used in Europe for 800 years. No other type of medical book survives so long in any type of society. A Razi, a person that was... And we look at the individuals, you'll see they were pious individuals, not only in their appearance, but in their contribution to Dean. Even, um, even Sina, he became Hafid at the age of 10. He wrote a lot of books on Dean. Um, a Razi, he understood microbiology at a time when there was no... Um, Microscopes available, but he knew there were agents in the air that affect our bodies that, that can manifest as illness. So one very famous incident when it came to choosing the position of a clinic, the, the, the location of the, the clinic in the area, he decided to hang four pieces of meat in different areas of the city. And whichever area the meat decomposed the least after about three weeks, that's the area where he set up the, the, the clinic. So he understood microbiology at that time. Uh, as Zahrawi, considered to be the chief of surgeons, his contribution can never be matched till today. And his medical equipment that he designed so many hundred years ago are still being used by surgeons today. Ibn, Ibn Nafis, he's known for perfectly producing the diagram and explanation of the pulmonary circulation. 300 years before William Harvey, which is recorded in the, in the, in the, in the history books, it's recorded that William Harvey discovered this. But 300 years before the time, before William Harvey was even thought about, Ibn Nafis described the pulmonary circulation. And it is all based, of them, all based on the ability to culminate the deen with knowledge, to live a holistic Islam. And we find that they, they had the zest for seeking cures based on the ahadith of Prophet that for every illness there is a cure. So there wasn't this concept that there's nothing we can do for you anymore. What does it do to the patient, healthcare practitioners? Rather say, in my knowledge, I do not know of what I can do for you. But there are other practitioners that can assist you. Never limit the cure for a patient because the entire dunya is a cure. Allah wants from us that we have been created to worship Allah. And in that worship, Allah has made the entire dunya subservient to us to attain cure. So cure can be found in anything. Cure can be found within reciting Surah Fatiha. Cure can be found looking at the Kaaba. Cure can be found looking at trees. And combining the cures of this dunya, it has an accumulative effect. So the whole point of this presentation is to make us realize that we have more resources in our, in our lives than we think. Because the biggest deception of shaitan is to make us feel hopeless. And we live in a time, the definition of stress is the overwhelming feeling of anxiety due to a lack of resources. And within this deen, we have all the resources that's needed. So the development of prophetic medicine within the term of Tiba Nabawi took place when religious scholars looked at, at medicine and they saw that as it went to different societies, it started to transform and move away from religious studies. So the aspect of mentioning Allah's name before the consultation, 
we have to remember that in Islamic medicine, the role of the physician, of the doctor, of the caregiver, is to uplift the iman of the patient alongside treating the patient. That's why they were called hakims, meaning wise men, wise people. Because they, that was their responsibility. But today, it's the divorce. It's strictly clinical. And if you keep it strictly clinical, you lose out on that resource. Because you become overwhelmed searching for cures that you think you can, can come up with. And you take away the hope of the patient. So we can have two types of patients. The one that is not connected to Allah. He's diagnosed with a terminal condition. He goes to the doctor thinking the doctor holds the cure. When the doctor says there's nothing he can do, his prognosis is a short while. The other person, he places his faith in Allah. He trusts that Allah is his healer based on the Quran ayah, وَإِذَا مَرِدْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ Nabi Ibrahim said that when I become ill, Allah heals me. And by taking this as your foundation when it comes to healing, whatever cure you seek, your faith will increase the efficacy of the cure. Because what you, your spirituality has an f- effect on your mind, it has an effect of your, on your emotions. And when you have contentment, you'll find that there's an increase in the immunity. So there was a revival of Tiba Nabawi because the religious scholars feared that science was moving away from the deen. So we find the likes of Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, strongly grounded in deen, but also in science, reviving the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ by um, I'm composing this book, Tiba Nabawi, which is based on ahadith and Quranic ayahs. Further on, we know that Imam Shafi said, Jalaluddin Asayuti, a famous um, Shafi scholar, quoted Imam Shafi to have said that after the science which distinguishes what is permissible from what is impermissible, there is no better science than Tib. Meaning, there is no better science than the knowledge of the body. Because throughout the ages, the Islamic intellectuals understood that the body was very important. And if our entire lives are guided towards the purity of the soul, why is it that Allah has chosen this, chosen this body to be a vehicle for the soul? Shouldn't it be that we should seek purity for the body as well? What happens if you place pure or clean water in a dirty cup? Would that water be pure? So therefore it's very important to look after the, the health of the body because it works, it correlates with our religious obligation. Why is it that every act that's related to our religious obligation requires physical exertion? Salah. You need a certain level of, of health to perform salah. You need a certain level of health to fast. Those that went on hajj will tell you it's one of the most strenuous ibadah. Even for zakah, you need your health. You need your health in order to work. Then you have to pay the zakah. So every act that brings you close to Allah requires our physical health. So therefore it's very important to realize that there's a correlation between the two. And after the, the, the salah will continue inshallah. Okay, shukran. We ask the brothers to please leave first. And sisters wait for the brothers to completely leave. Um, they can come to the back kitchen area or the bottom over there. Shukran. So continuing with where we left off, we said that the salah 
our acts of ibadah are there to purify the spiritual self. But with every act of ibadah, there is an emotional cleansing as well, as well as a physical cleansing. So when we look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, we recognize him as a perfect model of holistic living. He was well balanced in all aspects. When we say, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ That the Prophet ﷺ was a, a, a mercy to all of creation. We have to understand that he was a mercy for every system within the body. He was a mercy for the digestive system, for the circulation. He was a mercy for the skin, for our hair. Because he taught us how to look after these different parts of the body. The Prophet ﷺ used to anoint his skin with olive oil. He used to use it on his hair. He never left home without a mirror, comb, and his miswak with kohal. So there's many aspects that the Prophet ﷺ practiced that is a mercy for us, not only in terms of spiritual mercy, because they all become one. So we see that every aspect of our lives, we can derive mercy from the Prophet's example because he was balanced. The Prophet said, That destroyed is the one who is extreme in any matter. Even if he's extreme in deen, it can destroy him, it can overwhelm him because the deen is strong, it's immense. If he's not balanced in his physical self and emotional self, if he's not balanced as a community person, as a social person, it can, it can be very strenuous on him. And the further ayah where Allah confirms the balanced nature of his ummah, of the Prophet's ummah, is this ayah where Allah describes us as a ummatan wasata, a well justly balanced ummah. So we, we, we ascertain that within Tiba Nabawi, it, it is based on the Islamic principles of purity. As important as it is to purify the spiritual self from sins and wrongdoing, one waqt protecting us till the next waqt, one jumu'ah protecting us till the next jumu'ah, the fasting protecting us till the next year of fasting, our hajj wiping clean the previous sins of our lives, so too as every act of ibadah have an effect on our physical body. So too, we have to consider that whatever we do that affects our physical self, we have to adopt it in this fashion. So within the sunnah, the Prophet recommended that we should seek cure. The Sahaba came to the Prophet and asked him, what should we do when we are afflicted by illness? Should we practice sabr or should we seek a cure? So the Prophet said that I love cure just as much as you do indicating that it's not tawakkul to sit back and relax and say, this is sabr. You have a certain illness condition and you say, I'm going to make sabr and leave it. That's not sunnah. That is not tawakkul. Tawakkul is to adopt the means because we live in a world of cause and effect. Allah has produced or granted us an entire dunya with a lot of cures to be found within nature. So therefore, you are struck by the illness, you appeal to Allah to cure and you seek that cure. And the same applies for somebody that seeks a job for him to sit the entire day in the masjid and make dua for, for money, wouldn't get him anywhere. But if he makes dua for the money and he goes out and he seeks it, that is tawakkul. And that's taught to us by the Prophet So we find that if you look at primary health care and we look at all aspects of what the World Health Organization termed to be health 
and it's, we have to be in mind, it's only recently in the past few years where they defined health as incorporating the emotional self, the psychological self, the physical. This was not known a few decades ago. But in the Islamic teaching of, of medicine, it has always been known that you have to balance the individuals on all levels. So in Tibanambu, we recognize within the classical books, they always speak about two types of illnesses. Illnesses of the heart, which refers to spiritual illness like pride, envy, lust, jealousy, which has an emotional effect on the body. And illnesses of the body, the, the physiological illness that's caused by microorganisms, etc. But it also speaks about the integration of the two, not separating the two, re- knowing that the one relies on the other. When the body is overburdened with physical illness, it has an effect on our spirituality. We tend to become hopeless. And when we are affected spiritually, it doesn't move the body towards ibadah. So therefore, it's very important to balance the two. So in the Sunnah, the Prophet said that the body has a right over you, so we have to fulfill its right. We mentioned the hadith about good health and free time. And the Prophet was asked by a sahaba, what dua should I make? What should be on top of my of my request by Allah. So the Prophet said, ask for forgiveness, then ask for health. In other words, the forgiveness that we need to save us in this world and grant us Jannah, attached to that, ask for good health because it's connected to that well-being. It's connected to to basically support the spiritual self. And the Prophet said that after you have attained certainty, after you have firm conviction in his deen, after you have iman, there is nothing ben- more beneficial to you to ask for than good health. So in order for us to really appreciate Tibanabui and what it can do for us in today's time, we have to look at our current state. So this picture, most of us, a lot of us can relate to it. Some individuals experience this once a month. Um, sometimes... Um, Females experience it every month, once a month. Um, for some individuals, they might live like this every day of their lives. And we have to acknowledge that there's many aspects to stress. There's many categories of stress. So these are the main categories of stress. Survival stress would refer to stress affecting your immediate survival, like um, some retrenchment or ill health or loss of your this loss of security. Environmental stress, probably the most dangerous stress and goes by unnoticed would be those stresses that affect us every day that we're unaware of. Biochemical stress refers to the stress that happens within the body due to drugs or drug abuse or the toxins that we inhale and it has an effect on the physiology, additives in food, carcinogens, things that are that alter the, the formation of cells, mental stress, we're all aware what is mental stress when we burdened with heavy deadlines and and somehow mental and emotional stress are linked together. But there's one type of stress that we, we never consider and that would be the spiritual stress. All of these categories of stress has an effect on our ibadah, on our ability to perform as Muslims when it comes to our five daily awqat, our hudu, our dua. And if we don't, we don't realize that when we look after our spirituality, it supports the self, it combats the stress. If we don't realize the link between that, we'll be in a perpetual cycle of negative stress or, or negativity because the spirituality can take us out of that, out of, the, out of that stress, but it's due to that stress that we sideline 
the salah at work we'll sit and we have six hours of work left to do and the waqt of dhuhr comes but we fail to see the medicinal the medical emotional benefits of the waqt of dhuhr so logically we think that if I leave it off, I'll finish my work. But we forget within the office environment, sitting incorrectly, the glare of the computer, gas emits from the computer, it hampers your production, it helps me, it hampers the mental faculty. But when you perform the wudu, your correct body structure already in the qiyam position relieves tension in the shoulders. But I'll leave that for later, for the, for the next, um, when we speak about the postures of salah. So let's look at Environmental stress. That's stress that we go through every day that we're unaware of. Traffic. Taxi drivers, bus drivers, drunken drivers, cyclists, people not obeying the law. Every day, if you work in Cape Town, you experience this every day. It has an effect on your way you manage your day, on your productivity, spiritually, emotionally, on all levels. So think about you start your day off with Fajr Salah. So your stress levels on zero. You hit traffic, it starts to rise slowly. Depending, we are not designed to fit in cars for hours, to sit in cars for hours. So, you, so when you go into the field of medicine, you'll find that the spinal cord, it's the main network of nervous supply to every organ in the body. And in the, if there's correct posh, incorrect posture, you hamper the, the function of all the organs in the body. And... and um, Therapies like chiropractic work, body stress release, um, massage therapy, all highlight the importance of correct posture at all times. So, on your way to work, the traffic, one type of stress, incorrect posture, hampers the mental faculty, tension in the shoulders adds to that stress. Inhaling toxic fumes, riding um, during traffic with the window rolled down, we're inhaling carbon monoxide in mass proportions, having effect internally. When we breathe it in, it has an internal effect, so it hampers the way you think, the way you, you physically act. It hampers more than we think. Then the billboards on our way to work. To have all this negative information being projected to you at every single robot, reading certain billboards, talking about the negativity, and, and blowing up the negative news to mass proportion, feeding you, you are forced media every day and unconsciously you do not know that it has an effect on your heart. It has an effect on your spirituality. It has an effect on, on your hope that you have in Allah. Because when you are bombarded with all this information, you lose hope. And media has a way of dramatizing the events. And we must think about the time years ago when the news that you knew was only located to your surroundings. So bad news happened once in a while. Someone passed away, someone got robbed. But on your way to work, you're hearing the bad news of the entire world. Lies being made up in the process. So the body cannot handle all of this. So we have to look at our modern day living and realize that alongside all the benefits that we have, it comes at the price. And by realizing that these negativities are attached to it, we were able to zone in on our daily activities, our resources. And there's no better resource in the Quran and the Sunnah. What we hear, radio, noise pollution, constantly there's noise happening in the background everywhere. And alhamdulillah at the masjid you find the tranquility. Therefore you find there's times in the day, if we connect with our deen correctly, we'll crave to be in the masjid. And if we do not crave, we will seek more information, we will provide medical proof, and that becomes an incentive for us to view the wudu in a better light, to view dua in a better light, and salah. 
modern medical or modern um, technology comes with electromagnetic radiation, which causes stress on our bodies. Having a cell phone in your pocket every day, working in front of the computer, the glare of the computer affects the eyes, affects your ability to read, affects tension in your neck. There's too much to go into, and I'm just afraid of the times when I catch up with us, so I can't go into detail when it comes to all the, the environmental stress. And I'm only choosing the office environment. What about the person that does panel beating at home, under the car, incorrect posture, inhaling the fumes of the paint, etc.? So every job comes with environmental stress. Everybody has some form of hazard in the environment that they're unaware of. In the work environment, these are all areas of the body that's affected. Incorrect posture, with the feet not correctly placed on the ground, with your hands not properly aligned. If you're typing in this type of manner, you, develop, you can develop carpal tunnel syndrome over time, which affect the nervous supply to the shoulders, which affect your thinking ability. It, it, it forms, um, it, it, like, cause your thoughts to be um, overwhelmed. You obviously, you, most of the times you feel overworked due to the fact that there's not correct blood supply going to the shoulders, to the brain, to the back, etc. Then you have, for sitting for too long times, varicose veins, blood circulation problems in the legs, and the list goes on. So this is the condition of modern day living, the effect that it has on our lives if we don't tap into those resources that we need. So we find that the healthcare dilemma of modern day times would be this increase of lifestyle diseases, increase of contagious diseases, and around the world the public healthcare suffers a lack of resources. So we see that when globalization takes place and communities adopt the American model, when I say American model, I'm talking about microwave meals, McDonald's, TV meals, losing the, 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 the family connection in terms of sitting together around the table and eating and adopting a modern lifestyle, there's an increase of illness. So epidemiological studies, which refers to studies of population, shows that when rural people move into the city, the, uh, the in, there's an increase of diseases like cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure. So the disease that we suffer from today is a result of our modernization. But we have to bear in mind it's not a gloomy situation. There's resources available. And with Tibanabo, we will see that we have all the resources available to combat all this illness that we suffer, to help us increase the efficacy of whatever treatment we are we're having, and to empower each person to take health into your own hands. It's not the, the concern of the health practitioner to govern your health. They're there to advise. Each of us has a responsibility that... Like we have a responsibility to look after the deen, to look after our wealth according to the deen, so to the body, so our health is our responsibility. And we spoke about curative medicine, that modern medicine realizes that curative medicine is not the answer to lifestyle diseases. Preventative medicine is the answer. Making those decisions every day to better your health. So what's the remedy to it? What would be the remedy to our spiritual ills? Will be to fend off negative environments that can lead to sin, fend of things that can contaminate the deen. Likewise, we have to connect with nature because we have a natural design. And our natural design requires us to be in touch with nature. So we find the deen of Islam constantly connects us to nature, the use of water, the, the walks of the days according to the, to the, uh, the cycle of the sun, the, the months that we follow according to the lunar cycle. There's a reason why this has been placed of us, of, on us. 
So all the Prophet said that we are we are based our lives according to a fitrah, our natural inclination to worship Allah. And when we choose to worship Allah via the deen of Islam, we are choosing the most natural, the only natural way of worship worshiping Allah. So by following this deen through Tiba Nabawi, through the Sunnah, we are placed in our perfect position within our relationship to nature. And by doing that, we tap into the resources that nature can provide. But it's very important to have this knowledge because you can be performing wudu and salah every day and not get the physical and emotional benefits from it because you view it as a strictly spiritual practice only. And by doing that, you are undercutting the deen. You are making the deen very small. Not to say spirituality is very small, but you are placing the deen in a compartment. You are placing the deen in a masjid. When we are, we are taught that the entire dunya is a masjid, there is a reason why we can make salah anyway. So the entire dunya is there for our cure. If only we, 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 we research into it and we trust in the words of the Prophet So when we look at man's design, we will see that there is a pattern within our design. Allah says, سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى Glorify the name of your Lord the Most High. الَّذِي خَلَقَ فَصَوَّى the one who have created and he has fashioned. He has fashioned everything in creation to perfection. And then he has decreed everything its lot. Fahada and he has guided everything. Everything is guided towards self-healing, self-recovery. When we look at the cell and the complexities involved, we see that there is a pattern of perfection. When we look at the cosmos, we see there is a pattern of perfection. When we look within the body, and the practitioners would say that the body is more complex than the entire universe. And we find today in modern medical science that the, we know a very small percentage of physiology of the body, of how the body actually works. And when we see if nature is left on its own according to Allah's design, we'll see it flourish. We'll see that the ecosystem thrives. There's a perfect balance between prey and predator. Is. But when man comes in and chops down trees and takes more than he requires, it's, it's, there's a big imbalance in nature. And even when he does that, nature is designed to recover. So we find that the species will adapt to recover. When we, within our bodies, constantly there's a self-healing taking place. And within prophetic medicine, prophetic medicine is based on hamd and shukr. Volumes are written on the breath. Understanding what you are breathing in, the effect it has on the mental faculty, on the physical body, on your spiritual self. And this volume of work is aiming to bring the believers to understand that breathing one breath of air is a miraculous event. Constantly, these cells that Allah designed are recreating themselves. Allah recreates us constantly. Modern medical science proves that every, every day, 550 billion cells die and 550 billion cells are replaced within your body. So skin cells are dying and it's being replaced. So this is what you're looking at. This is your 2013 model. The body you have now wasn't the body that you had last year. It's completely new cells. So Allah continuously recreates you. So it's a miraculous event. And by understanding this, you start to tap into Allah's healing um, that he can provide us through nature. So we find even when we look in foods, a perfect design in its structure and what it does for the body. It contains what they call phytochemicals, phytonutrients. 
that has the ability to heal certain conditions, to support your organs. And when man interferes and, ch- and tries to change the genetic code to um, heal the bigger crop, to make the tomatoes look redder, to, um, to um, have um, watermelon without pips, etc., we find that it comes at the expense. Medicinal value is lost. Carcinogenic properties are added to that type of food because the baraka is lost. So therefore we find lots of research is proving that genetically modified foods harms our bodies. And it's responsible for the cause of many types of our cancers that we have today. It worsens our diabetes, cholesterol, etc. So what are we trying to achieve every day in our appearance, in reviving knowledge within our societies, we are trying to mimic or return back to the model of Medina. What was the model of Medina? It was a society that thrived on the Sharia, where they practiced the fiqh to the best of their ability, where they practiced the, uh, the economics to the best of their ability. The Sharia law was established, but alongside that, they had the best healthcare system. So the Prophet also some recommendation on what to eat, how to eat it, what to look out for. The Prophet used to recommend Quran ayahs for certain illnesses. Some sahabas came to the Prophet with, with stomach, and the Prophet says, perform two rakaahs, and we'll see how the, the certain positions has effect on different um, systems of the body. So the deen was practiced holistically. So likewise, if we want to attain this healing that the sahaba had, we have to return back to the model of Medina. Therefore, we have to revive prophetic medicine the health care system of the Muslims today. It's the health care model based on the Sunnah, where the Qur'an is viewed as healing, in terms of the sound of the Qur'an, the meaning of the Qur'an, the effect it has on your heart, what scientifically back studies it, we will delve into. The power of dua, we all know about the power of intention, spoke about in many types of disciplines. Within the power of dua, we'll find how raising your hands and asking Allah, and just having that niyyah, what it does to molecules, how it arranges molecules in a perfect fashion. The, the effect of Allah bidhikrillahi tatama in qulub, that the remembrance of Allah has a contentment, it brings contentment to the heart. So being in a, in a gathering of dhikr can heal you from certain conditions if only you trust in that. Be in mind that the deen, Allah says, that he is to his slaves the way he thinks of him. So if you zone in and we, through this we find out certain things are healing for us and we, and we know it's from the sunnah and we trust in it and we expect from Allah Allah will grant it to us inshallah so we will look at the wudu different um, areas of the body being washed with water we look at the fix of water etc the postures of salah in the upcoming classes we look at fasting and we know it's well known across all types of medicine, natural medicine fields that the fasting program is very important for the detoxification of the body. To rid ourselves of all the stress that builds up through the year, fasting is recommended. And the, and the, the tawaf, the, the Kaaba, being in Makkah, has a benefit to our lives. The water of Zamzam is proven to have medicinal qualities. We will look at the healthy practices of the Prophet. The hadith says that, uh, that, um, that the prophets followed the fitrah, meaning they, there were certain practices that they would do. They would grow the beards, um, trim the moustaches, they would clip the nails, um, um, cut the pubic hairs. They would ensure that they would 
cleanse themselves with water after relieving themselves. So there was a certain model that was practiced since the beginning of time that has been incorporated in our lifestyle today. And because of this model, we are more healthier people. But if only we actually adopt this model the way the Sahaba did, we'll increase our health. The Miswak, uh, we know that modern science shows all the nutrients, all the beneficial um, phytochemicals in, in the Miswak that fights off bacteria. The Miswak is the only type of um, instrument for the mouth that combines a toothbrush with floss and toothpaste because it produces substances, and we'll delve into that also. The use of oils, the Prophet Sallallahu used to use oil on his skin, on his hair. And certain oils is suited for certain seasons, certain body types. Atr has the effect on the body. From Atr, we find the, the field of aromatherapy developing. Even Sina was the founder of aromatherapy. And he based it on the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu that to pass good scents around is part of sadaqah. It promotes well-being. And today, modern science proves that the smell of lavender can bring contentment. Even the, the camphor that we burn, that we use at the janaza, camphor has an antidepressant effect, proven scientifically, that it calms people down. It can take the, way, the edge off people when it's in, in emotional distress. And we'll talk about that as well. We look within the Sunnah, the Prophet ﷺ recommended exercise. He often raised Aisha anha, and he encouraged archery, swimming, etc. We look at cupping. We know that uh, in previous years, cupping was seen by the scientific world to be folk medicine. But recently, there's the emergence of the scientific proof behind cupping. And the, and the scientific proof color, correlates to the Prophet ﷺ saying, the world of nutrition. The Prophet ﷺ recommended certain type of foods. And you'll see he ate certain type of foods that correlate to modern um, nutrition. He, he chose to eat coarse foods. Fine flour was available in his time. He had ex- access to it, but he chose coarse flour. And we know coarse flour is known for its high GI content, low GI content. So it's beneficial for the bowels, etc. So we'll go into the Prophet's nutrition in detail. He spoke about, spoke about the food from Jannah. He spoke about black seed, habbu soda. He said that it's a cure to every illness except death. And we find that um, this is proven in science. Recently, um, I began a master's study, and I, my dream was to do a study on black seed. I wanted to do a study on the immunomodulatory effects on black seed, thinking I'm going to add to this field of knowledge, only to find out that all the topics were exhausted. My supervisor, the professor, told me that black seed has been used, has been researched to such an extent that these topics of um, the use of black seed in koi fish for flu or poultry for flu. They went past the uses for humans. They went on to animals because it's known that black seed is such a good healing. However, within our communities, we find people stocking black seed in their tons, taking huge tablespoons of black seed, thinking they're going to get healing from the black seed, but they forget that black seed is attached to prophetic medicine, which requires moderation in eating. So you can't have a Gatsby and then a teaspoon of black seed. <laughs> Maybe you can have a black seed Gatsby. <laughs> so what you want to do is understand that there's science behind the sunnah. So black seed is a very potent medication, and it has to be understood that it has a dosage form. It is called habbu baraka meaning that the finer you, you crush black seed, the more medicinal value you get out of it. When you take the whole seed, it passes through your system because the outer coating is, is made of oil. And that outer coating prevents it from being digested properly. By crushing it, 
So three to seven seeds is recommended as sunnah. But there's certain conditions that it wouldn't be recommended for because black seed is a heating type of herb. But we'll speak about that. So very important to, to remember, we shouldn't be passing on remedies from one. Everybody has a honey remedy with lemon juice and a, you put bori in it and you mix it in this way and people's passing it on thinking that natural medicine is safe. Anything given in the wrong dosage is harmful, even water. So bear in mind that herbs has an effect on the body. There's a misconception that if I take something natural, it's safe. It has to be followed according to a practitioner's advice. Therefore, at the School of Natural Medicine, we learn about herbs in depth. We learn about pathology, we learn about the human body, and we learn how they interact. Bright chops is from the Sunnah. The Prophet he loved meat. He loved the shoulder cut. He loved boat. But he ate meat in moderation. He loves sweet things. He had a sweet tooth. So you'll probably be into burfi and jalebi and the stuff that we... But he ate it in moderation to show us that there's an inclination to something. But if you delve too much into it, it can lead to harmful effects. So therefore, in the sunnah, we'll see the Prophet ﷺ practicing this balance. And therefore, it's important because we live in a time of buffet meals. All you can eat for the, for the least price. But we forget that the Prophet ﷺ told us that overeating, what it does to the system, that it brings on disease. And from Tibanabui... The, the statement is made that every illness is connected to the belly. And modern day medicine recognizes that cholesterol, diabetes, hypertension is connected, connected to incorrect diet. Over time they will realize that every illness is connected to the belly because the signs of the Prophet is volatile kiyama. And the signs of modern day medicine is only valid for today because someone might come and disprove someone else's theory. So when we find a... Um, a medical fact, or a, we confirm it due to what the Prophet says, and not the other way around. It's not that a medical fact comes out tomorrow and you say, okay, so the Prophet spoke the truth. It's the other way around. If it correlates to what the Prophet said, then we know that that, that scientific study is valid. And we look within the other types of foods that Prophet recommended. The Tibanabu is basically more than black seed and honey. People think about Tibanabu, we think about black seed and honey only. That's the only recommendation. But they forget it comes with a whole mind, a change of, of mind, a uh, frame of mind, looking at health within the light of deen. Health is an ibadah because it supports our, our bodies carry the ruh. So therefore it is of utmost importance even more because if we strengthen the body, the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah says in the Hadith Qudsi that the strong believer is more beloved than the weak believer. Although they both have a high rank by Allah due to the Iman, but the strong believer can do more for himself and for others. He can perform more ibadah. Think about the days of fasting. Ramadan came and we were all amped up to perform the tarawih every night with tajud. But what happened after the fifth night? Our bodies took a toll. So we couldn't do what the ruh wanted. The ruh wanted to perform more ibadah, but the bodies weren't able to. So what happens? We regressed. But if you are able to support the ruh with a strong body, then there will be a positive growth. We look into the world of spices. We find that modern medicine, and the amazing thing is that conferences that are coming out are focusing on turmeric, focusing on jira and bori, and bori, and looking at the medicinal value. But we grew up with the spices, and we tend to opt for the burger, for the western diet. When it's proven that these spices can fend off many types of illnesses, it is high in antimicrobial properties. It can kill off bacteria. So it's very important for us not to devalue our culture and our heritage, which is connected to deen. Because due to the Prophet's life and the spirit of Islam, 
Various types of diets were incorporated and they looked at the medicinal value of food. For instance, to eat biryani with buttermilk and day, it balances it out because the heat of biryani is cooled down with the day. And we'll speak about the qualities of food also. So if we look at the, within ourselves, when you look at the creation of, of, of the atom, which is the smallest part of the human being, we'll see there's a pattern. We have the atom with the nucleus in the middle and the protons and neutrons, electrons circulating around the atom in an anti-clockwise position. So in the smallest part of the body, there's a certain pattern. If we look at bigger structures like the cell, we see there's a pattern. There's a pattern in the cytoplasm. Cells and, and organelles moves in the anti-clockwise direction within cells which makes up our organs. So within the atom is a pattern, within cells is a pattern. When the cells come together, they form organs. Within the organs of the body, we find the circulatory organs pumping blood throughout the body in an anti-clockwise position based on this cosmic law of natural living. When we look within the celestial bodies, the planets, as they rotate, we know that the earth rotates on its own axis in an anti-clockwise position. We know that the moon rotates in its own axis around the earth. And all the planets in the solar system rotates in the anti-clockwise position around the sun. The Milky Way are formation of galaxies all rotating in the anti-clockwise position around each other. So therefore we find when the believer aligns his life according to the natural means of the dunya, we find there's a connection in the tawaf, which is a a circumambulation which mimics what happens at the smallest part of our being to the largest part of the celestial bodies. Therefore we find as we speak, the, our families are in Makkah circumambulating around the Kaaba like the atom, like the celestial bodies that worship Allah. Everything in the heavens and the earth, the smallest atom to the biggest planets, worship Allah. When we align our lives to His worship according to the natural way, we attain healing. Therefore we find the Hujaz cannot explain what they feel, the ecstasy within their body. Joint pain is overcome, circulation problems is overcome due to the feeling of the heart, feeling of the soul, simply because they obeyed Allah, simply because they obeyed this act of ibadah. So what happens to us every day when we connect to the natural world via the natural way, via Tibanabawi, which is fulfilling our fitrah, which is connects us at a cellular level to a macro level. And by doing that, we will increase our well-being as believers. وَأَخِرُ دَوَانَ وَالْحَمْدِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Tired now. <laughs> so this is the basic end of my presentation. And um, I'm opening the floor for some questions. Just um, Are there any written questions? Oh. Are there any written questions we need to collect from anybody? Before okay. we um, take questions, I just want to mention that um, when I present topics like this, often people ask about, can you give me a remedy for somebody suffering from this? So we have to remember that when someone suffers from conditions, a consultation is needed because there's other factors that affect the person's life. So uh, we, this is not a platform for case studies, but we want to stick to um, question and answers related to the topic. Okay, the question that's asked, is there any validity 
to Reiki. Reiki healing or energy healing in Islam. Okay, personally, I haven't researched Reiki. I have a vague idea what it is. I know it falls within the field of energy medicine. As far as I know, if you're using healing and the source of your healing is based on Tawheed and your Aqidah is in check, meaning that you are zoning in on healing that Allah has provided in the dunya, then it will be valid. But however, when the healing is connected to any other aspect that is foreign, that is abstract, that cannot be, then it, then it becomes doubtful. So I'm not saying that Reiki is not allowed. I'm saying that I have more research has to be done. But in the field of energy medicine, the, the power of dua, the connection that we have, there's energy that's being transferred between people all the time. The power of intention. Like, like we know the feeling of a failed cake. If someone looks to you in a funny way, it's spoken about in the Quran and the Sunnah. That's when we recite the ta'awud, the qul'awud, the birabil falak. That there is ability or negativity can be um, um, transferred. So likewise, positive energy can also be transferred. So I know that I didn't fully answer the question, but uh, I don't want to answer on something that I'm not fully sure about. Are there any questions from the floor? Anybody would like to answer the stage? Okay, there's one question, it's a case study. And um, like I said earlier, it's difficult to answer this because you have to ask the person about more things and then it's a bit unfair on the rest of the people. But because it's asked, um, it's, it's very important that the person mentioned that um, due to certain neurological problems that it affects our behavior. And uh, we're now and outwardly in society due to our lack of knowledge of how the body is wired, we will uh, assume this person to be rude um, inappropriate without understanding the condition. Just bear in mind that with every condition, there's various ways it manifests. So um, definitely with um, neurological conditions, um, people's manners, they cannot control what they say, what they. so we shouldn't judge them accordingly. So bear in mind that um, we should live in a society where people are branded according to what they do, but um, we shouldn't do that because we create um, anxiety for certain families to go out, etc., um, doctor, there is another question from the floor. Yes. So she's going to ask it. I'm going to switch mics and she'll ask and then you can switch you back on again. Assalamualaikum. Uh, it's um, regarding what uh, Dr. said. Eating meat in moderation. What is moderation? Once a week? Twice a week? Okay, that was a good example of noise pollution right there. Okay, so a moderation would be person-specific. So a cardiac patient, moderation would be a small portion once a week. So um, a few, I say a hundred gram lean piece of meat once a week. But for people that don't suffer from certain conditions, they could have more. And obviously different types of meat has different effects on the body. So the best meat would be the more light on the body would be um, a fish or lean chicken. So likewise, that's another question that I can't pose generally. It depends on your health status. But um, as a as a um, preventative measure, at early age, keep the children away from processed meat. For instance, the polonies, the burgers, because the, the, the meat is made up of various additives. So food bought at, bought at takeaways has various additives that are addictive. 
And eventually, the children will become addictive to the taste that they won't find in other types of meat. Even if you're buying liquor chops, they won't be into it because there's additives added to other food. So, a moderation would refer to not having chops every day. Twice a week, lean, alongside carbs, alongside vegetables. We find in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi diet, there was a lot of fruit and veg. And we'll find that within the Quran, uh, when we look at scientists, they're looking at the mathematical ratios in the Quran. I'm sure we came across it, like the, the time that adab is mentioned to mercy, etc. So they looked at the portions mentioned in the Quran with food, and they assigned a, a measurement to it. And when they correlated all the amount that olives will be mentioned, honey, they worked it out that it perfectly correlates to what um, dietitians would advise today in terms of carbohydrates, proteins, etc. that's needed for the day. So moderation refers to not more than um, two servings of meat a week. Uh, the rest can be chicken, the rest can be fish. But likewise, I said it's very tricky because you need to be as a patient-specific question. The question is asked, does cupping has in anything to do with renewing cells? Yes, it does. So within cupping, um, there's two types of cupping, dry cupping and wet cupping. Wet cupping, ref- dry cupping refers to the application of cups on the skin in order to draw up the skin beneath the cup to induce or increase blood supply to the surface. When blood supply is to the surface, it brings out that metabolic waste that sits deep in the tissues. When the surface looks purple, it indicates to a toxin buildup in the body. Very important to mention that it has to be done by a medical practitioner, someone that is trained in pathology and anatomy and physiology. To do cupping um, sooner way and not focus on the on the anatomy would not be the sunnah way. It's contrary. Because the Prophet went to a cupper for cupping, someone that was trained in it. So you have certain individuals practicing cupping without medical qualification, without medical knowledge and causing um, lots of harm to people. So when blood is extracted from brought to the skin and there's light lacerations on the skin to remove that blood, that blood contains a lot of waste. When I say the body moves towards healing, the body aims to replace cells. So those cells are replaced, but it's free of those toxins. So therefore we find that weight cupping has a detoxification effect on the body. Any more questions from the guys? Basically, acupuncture would follow similar principles to cupping also on certain points of the body but achieving more or less the same physiological effects, targeting what they call meridian points. Cupping also plays on certain body, targets the tissues. So there's, there's a lot of similarities. So you'll find um, there's many body manipulation therapies that share the same ideas, the same philosophy. So they're all very similar, but there'll be th- th- there's different treatments. So you'll go to acupuncture therapist, they will use these certain points. Cuppers would we use a different point, so... There's variations in the therapies. Any more questions? Okay. Okay, just so one announcement before we maybe make a close into our um, that there will be no class next week due to um, Eid being on Wednesday. Um, so there will be no class next week, inshallah. Um, we will resume the week thereafter with our second session, inshallah. 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا مولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وصحبه جميعا ولا ولين اخر اخرين يا ذا القوه متين يا راحم المساكين يا ارحم الراحمين يا ذا الجلال والكرم يا الله ربنا تقبل منا انك انت السميع العليم اللهم اشف مرضانا وارحم موتانا اللهم اجعلهم حجا حجا مبرورا وسعيهم سعيا مشكورا وذنبهم ذنبا مغفورا عملهم عملا صالحا مقبولا وتجاره انت بوريا نوريا نور عالما ما في الصدور اخرجنا يا الله واياهم من الظلمات الى النور ربنا اتنا في الدنيا حسنه وفي الاخره حسنه وقنا عذاب النار وادخلنا الجنه مع الابرار يا عزيز غفار يا رب العالمين سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته السلام عليكم سيدي